Hello, good to see everybody. How y'all feeling? Let me hear how you're feeling out there today. Woo! Ah! No, <laughs> I don't know why. I just felt like we should do the wave or something, but don't do it. Don't do it. I know you're tempted, uh, and I know we're in playoff football time, so I know the wave is very tempting right now, but don't do it. Well, hey, I'm Michael Singer, uh, and yes, as crazy as I am, I am the pastor here at Freedom House Church at this, camp- this campus, <laughs> just this campus. Uh, they just, never mind, I'll just stop. <sighs> One thing I've grown in better uh, is my filter in my life, and my wife is very appreciative. Um, I know it doesn't sound like it, but believe me, <laughs> I have come a long way with that filter. Hey, I love it where uh, we have had a great past week. I don't know if you were able to join in on the fasting and, and doing that this past week. Been to the church, we've been fasting, spending a lot of time in prayer, and there was something we did this last week that I just personally really enjoyed. We did it at every campus, and at our campus, Lake Norman, it happened on Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock, uh, but the men got together, and we gathered up, and men shared testimonies of just talking about, hey, here's what God has done in my life. Here's where I've invited God in, and here's where he's changed uh, aspects and things and thoughts and everything about my life. And then we just broke out into groups and prayed for each other. And I love the fact that that's just one small glimpse of what we do as a church, and I love that our church has opportunities like that. And so I'm thankful that Pastor Troy and Penny Maxwell decided to start a church in Charlotte. So I just want to honor the fact that we have this church and for them starting it. Give a hand clap and just honor that. (laughs) So we're in this series, uh, beginning of the month, we're in this series called Can You See It? And I want to read a passage of scripture that is kind of the backbone scripture for this entire series. Uh, So it's in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says this, Now to him... God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Pastor Penny said something in her message last week, and it's kind of in the little bumper there uh, that came up before I came out. But the fact that our sight allows us to navigate circumstances, but it's actually vision that helps us change our circumstance. And it's not just changing our circumstance in our own power, but it's having a vision that, like this verse says, is accessing a power that only God can work in us, his Holy Spirit, the spiritual side of the way God created us, so that we can tap into something bigger than us, so that whatever it is that we desire to change can actually change, so we can actually look and say, you know what, I can see it. Maybe I've never been able to see it in my life before, but I can see it because I have God walking with me and showing me and helping me walk through this. I don't know if you ever had a time where you had something in your life that you thought to yourself, I don't know if I'll ever stop, be, stop doing this. Or I don't know if I'll ever be able to start doing this. When I talk to people that wake up early, 4.35 a.m., I'm mad and I'm jealous all at the same time. Because I wish I would get up like that because I know there would, there's a great benefit to it. And I just have not found that rhythm. However, there is something in my life that was from the beginning of my life that was very tough, very hard, something that I definitely said, I will never be able to stop doing this. I grew up in Louisiana, so I'm from the deep south. We moved to North Carolina, and though it was north, it's still the south. And do you know what the south has that is great, that flows like water in rivers? Sweet tea. Love sweet tea. When I go up north, my wife's from the north. When I went up there, I was like, I'll have some tea. It's standard unsweet tea. I don't know what y'all are drinking up in the north. And don't hand me packets of sugar to try to mix to the cold water sweet. It doesn't mix right. 
Okay, sorry, let me backtrack. Sweet tea, love it. I would make a gallon of sweet tea all the time. When it would run out, I'd make another gallon of sweet tea and have it in the house. Now, I love sweet tea. I also have a sweet tooth. Jalay doesn't have a sweet tooth. So guess who was mostly drinking the sweet tea? Me. And I knew, Michael, consuming this much sweet tea with that much sugar in it, probably not the healthiest thing. You've got to quit. You've got to stop. And I just thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to be able to stop. But do you know it's been probably over 15 years since I've made a gallon of sweet tea in the house? Yeah. Thank you for sharing in my victory. And I'm in awe. Like, I was just, it's funny. This, just the other day, I was thinking about how in awe I was that, like, I stopped making sweet tea in the house. I'm, I'm now trying to move to actually only drinking black coffee. So, Freddie, I'm trying, man. I've had a few rounds. Talk to me in a couple months, and let's see if I'm actually doing it. But we have those things that we're like, man, I don't think I can get over this. And then when you get over it, you look back and you think, gosh, I feel so accomplished. Like, I feel like I did something. And that's what I want to talk about today. The message I want to talk about today is can we see ourselves overcoming sin? Can we see ourselves overcoming sin? I want to go to Hebrews. Before I read chapter 12, verse 1, I just kind of want to let you know what's going on. Hebrews chapter 11 uh, the, the author is writing about all these, what we might call the giants of the faith. These guys that are in the Old Testament that we read that had faith in God. Moses, Abraham. At one point, it even lists out some names and says, I don't have all the time in the world to tell you how these, these people walked in faith. And so it comes off of telling about all these guys and how we can look to them. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 12, the first part of verse 1. It says, therefore... Since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. So, because we have all these men who had faith in God and we saw what, what that did in their life. Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. I want to focus on the second part of that verse. I want to focus on laying aside the sin that so easily ensnares us. So, I think we ought to start with the question, why is it? that sin so easily ensnares us. It didn't say lay aside if sin comes along and tries to ensnare you or trap you. It says lay aside the sin that is easily, without any effort, not hard, it's going to easily ensnare us. So how in the world, why is sin so easily to trap us and ensnare us and to get us caught up in life? I think one of the reasons it's so easy is because it offers us self-gratification. It offers us that gratification that we feel that this feels good. Sin doesn't feel bad. If it felt bad, if it was like somebody stabbing a knife in your arm, we wouldn't do it. It's good. It feels great in the moment. It's this self-gratification. And I feel like that self-gratification can be kind of in two main camps. One is making us feel like that we're missing something. Or the other is making us feel like we deserve something. You know what, God? <laughs> I'm going to eat this last set of, of Swiss, Swiss cake rolls because my feelings need to be squashed with this food. You know what, God? I know I said I was only going to drink one or two beers, but eh, what's a cake? <laughs> God, I, I know that, you know, I'm supposed to forgive them, but you know what? What they did to me, I deserve to keep that grudge, and I deserve to hold that against them because 
they did that to me and I deserve it. God, I'm missing out on this. I think those are those two, these two camps that we fall in. Matter of fact, I think we can see this at work when we look back to the garden when Adam and Eve first sinned. You have Satan that comes up to Eve and he says, hey, uh, did God say you couldn't eat anything in this garden? And she's like, no. You know, Satan's already playing with the words and everything. She goes, no, no, he just said we couldn't eat from that one tree, the tree of knowledge, of knowledge and good and evil. And he said, you know why he doesn't want you to eat that tree, right? Because you'll be like him, and you'll know good and evil just like he knows good and evil. And I want to read to you in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, what does Eve do with that information? Here's what happens. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. In other words, when Eve saw that she deserved to have that dragon fruit off of that tree. And then she saw a tree that was desirable to make one wise. You know what? We're not wise like God. I'm missing something. God has been holding something from me. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Sin is always going to offer that self-gratification. It's going to tell you that you're missing something and I have the answer. It's going to tell you you deserve this. You've worked hard. You've pushed hard. You're better than everybody else and nobody ever tells you anything. This is your chance to just go, just fill your wild oats. Do what you want to do. You deserve it. So it pushes and it pulls on that self-gratification. But sin also slowly erodes. It doesn't engulf. That's why it's so easy to get wrapped up in it. It's not like a tsunami that just wipes your life out, and all of a sudden, in a moment, everything is destroyed. Relationship, family, work, job, your, your way you feel about yourself, identity. It doesn't happen like that. It's a slow erosion. When I go, if you go to a creek and watch a water run over the rocks of the creek, you're not going to sit there and see that rock dissolving right before your eyes. But you give that, that creek about 1,000, 2,000, 20,000 all these years, it will eventually dissolve that rock. Jalea and I went to the Grand Canyon. I'm not the Grand Canyon. What am I thinking? Niagara Falls. Thank you, baby. The Holy Spirit talking on the front row. <laughs> went to Niagara Falls. Hey, raise your hand if you've been to Niagara Falls. Loved it. Great. So there was some stat, and I can't remember it. Uh, somebody can tell me later if you remember. Uh, after service, please don't holler it out now. Uh, but there's some stat that, you know, over a year the, where the falls fall off, that uh, land or the, the rocks and stuff, they, they recede or recess back a certain amount of inches or feet or whatever. So when you think about over all these years, you're like, man, that, that waterfall used to be out here when it came over the falls. And it's gradually eroded back. But you can't see it. When we were on that Maid of the Mist boat looking up there, I didn't look up and go, man, look at Jalea. That thing's eroding like crazy. Boy, it's just going. You can't see that happening. You can stand up on the top, right along the river, you can take pictures and stuff, and you don't have to be worried about everything collapsing around you. But if that same Niagara Falls eroded 20 feet every five seconds, you're probably not going to stand up there and try to take your picture on the top side because you might be gone in a matter of a second. They would probably have signs up that say, don't get too close because it erodes 20 feet every five seconds. That's not what sin does. Sin slowly begins to erode. It slowly begins to trickle away. And I love how James talk about, talks about this slow erosion and kind of this progression of sin, that it doesn't just happen in a moment. It says this in James chapter 1, verse 13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted 
when we're first lured and enticed by our own desire, remember Eve, ooh, that fruit looks really good. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You're going through life, and things are slowly happening. Sin is slowly pulling you away, and it might take a year, two years, five years, and all of a sudden, you look around, and you're like, how did I lose all this stuff? How did these things die in my life? Where, how did this destruction come on me? It wasn't like, you know, a big wrecking ball that just took it down. It was a slow, slow grind and a slow dissolving of what we do. And that slow erosion actually makes us feel like we're in control. Oh, God, I got this. I can stop this sin anytime I want to. God, I can stop looking at that stuff anytime I want to. God, I can stop making negative comments on social media anytime I want to. God, I can put that drink down anytime I want to. God, I can put that vice, that cigarette. I can stop watching TV all day. I can stop eating to suppress my feelings. I can stop that anytime I want to. That slow erosion makes us feel like we're in control. And I don't know if you've ever had a small child, you know, four, five, or six, and you put them on your lap behind the steering wheel in your car, or maybe you're on the ride lawnmower, or maybe you have a tractor or whatever. You've seen this. But that kid is not in control. But do you think that kid thinks they're in control? Heck yeah. They're like, zoom, 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 zoom. Foot not on the gas, foot not on the brake. The adult's hand is kind of conspicuously down here hiding, turning the steering wheel. Because if the kid was in control, that thing would be all over the road like this. The slow erosion of sin makes us feel like, you know what? I have control. I can handle this. I can take care of this. It's that self-gratification. And then it says, I'm going to slowly eat away at you. I'm not going to do it at once. I'm going to slowly erode what's going on in your life. And then sin also, it'll use comparison to keep us complacent. Sin will use comparison to keep us complacent with where we are and the sin that's in our lives. Now, I'm going to tell you uh, an example of how God works. It's one thing to look and go, man, God's done miracles. God's done this. But I sometimes in my life, I forget to see the little ways that God is just putting pieces together. And I love it when I see it because it's cool. It's like he's up there, the ultimate chess player, going, watch what I'm going to do to them right now. See if they even notice. So Thursday night, my daughter Lily comes up to me and she says, hey, Dad, I was sharing with Mom uh, the other day or this morning or whatever. I was sharing with her this, uh, this quote. And I was like, oh, where did you hear it? I don't know where I heard it. And uh, so I can tell it to you later. It's not a big deal. I said, no, no, tell me now. I'll listen. So she tells me this quote. And do you know when she got done telling me that quote, I said, baby, you have no idea. But that quote right there fits exactly with what I'm planning to speak on and talk about from God's word this weekend. That is a God, only God can do that. Let me read the quote to you. Quotes this, comparing our sins with others to make ourselves feel better is like being proud of putting slightly different nails in the wrist of Jesus. It's like putting slightly different, you know what, my thing isn't as bad as your thing. He'd be a lot more displeased with what you're doing. You know what, I only have one little thing. I just kind of have this one area, but I've seen people, they got like 15 areas where they are just in sin. So you know what, I'm good. I'll just stay here. I don't have to work on this, or if I feel like it, I'll work on it. And my nails going in Jesus' wrist, there maybe don't hurt as much as somebody else's nails. Because mine's little. Not a big deal. Y'all familiar with the five-second rule? You have your favorite French fry in your hand or your favorite candy, and it drops on the floor? I don't know about you, but me, I'm like, 
Five-second rule, and I pick it up, and I eat it. No problem. Not scared, not worried about it. Don't even think about it. I mean, it's a McDonald's french fry. What do you want me to do? I ain't going to leave that. I'm not going to leave it for a bird or an animal. I'm taking that thing. <laughs> what if you go to a restaurant, and as the server walks out to your table, they up drop your silver on the floor. They're like, five-second rule, and they hand it to you. I might still eat my meal with it. <laughs> what if you're in the operating room and the doctor has a scalpel, drops it on the floor and says, oh, five-second rule. All right, let's cut you open. Now, that one I'm not doing. Do you know why? Because I know how infection works, son. It's on the ground. I don't care if it has a speck of dust on it. That speck of dust is going to go in and could potentially lead to my death if it doesn't get taken care of. It can cause an infection internally that I don't find that destroys me, that is what it's like when we compare our sin. If I just say, oh, I'm good, I'm better than them, little do I know that that sin that I have is eroding my life without me even paying attention to it. I love what Romans 3 says when it talks about it's pointless to compare our sins to one another. It says this in verse 22 through 24. It says the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there's no distinction, for all Everybody shout all. All right. In the Greek, Bible written in the Greek, all means all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That passage of scripture makes it plain. For me to compare my sin to Doug or Freddie or anybody else is pointless because we are all sinners. It doesn't matter if I think it's a little or if I think it's a big. doesn't matter what I think at all. So if this is the case, if sin is so sneaky and it wraps us up and it gets us comparing and it, it just slowly eats away at us, if it does all these things and gratif gratif gratifies, is that right? gratifies everything about myself and the things that I want and the desires, how in the world can I stand up here and preach a message, hey, can we see ourselves overcoming sin? How in the world can we really? Is there a chance? Is it possible? Can we overcome sin? As I try to answer that and give us some things that we can see in God's word that will help us, what I want you to know is that I'm not going to talk about one aspect to overcoming sins, which is setting up boundaries. I'm not going to focus on that part, but boundaries are very key and very huge. I have areas of my life where I can easily fall into sin. I have boundaries set up so that I don't fall into that or it's a protection for me falling into that. Boundaries are a representation of the physical, natural things that we can put in place to help us not fall into sin. But the physical side is not the only side. We have to combine and have the spiritual side also. It can't just be physical, because I'm here to tell you, I don't care how disciplined you are, I don't care how you can grind it out and do all this, if you only have physical boundaries, there are going to be cracks in that house, and you need, we need the spiritual caulk so the wind of sin doesn't just keep blowing through. We have to have that in place. So I'm going to talk about and lean more on the spiritual side. And I'm also talking about this because in the last two to three years of my life, I've actually been leaning into this side more than I ever have in conjunction with the physical, tangible boundaries that I've put in place for myself. So let's go back to that Hebrew scripture. We left off saying that lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. And then it goes on to say why, and here's what our next step is. Hebrews 12, the second part of 1 in verse 2. says, let us run with endurance the race 
that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, when it's talking about this race to run with endurance, we're not like going to run a physical foot race. This is talking about our life. And I want to focus on the fact that it says as we're running this race, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. I think there's a question we have to answer first before anything else if we want to have any chance at overcoming sin. And the question is, have I invited Jesus into my race? In other words, have I invited Jesus into my life? Have I believed that Jesus died for me? Have I started a relationship? And do I have a relationship with God? I'm not talking about popping up to church. I'm not talking about saying, yeah, I heard of God. I'm not talking about saying, I'm born in America. Of course, we were, we were born on Christian values and all that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually looking and going, you know what? I've tried this on my own. I've walked through life on my own. But now I'm going to run the rest of my race where Jesus is right there. He's the starter of it. And he's also the perfecter of my faith, meaning that while I'm going through this race of life and good times come, hard times come, I'm going, I see you, God. You're right here. God, I need help with this. I don't know how to do this. God, will you help me understand what your word said right there? God, can I really have the power to overcome this? We get to engage with him. I'm going to read a number of scriptures because the Bible tells us why it's so important for our foundation to start here. Because a good foundation can withstand any storm. So let's start with the foundation. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, for our sake, he made him, God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Without God, we will never, I mean, without Jesus and believing in him and having God in our life, we will never be in right standing with God. And the reason why is because we have sinned. I already read it earlier in Romans. We have all sinned. That sin blocks us from a relationship with God. But God wanted a relationship with us so bad that he sent Jesus and said, now you have a way to get back to me. But it has to be in him because you're unrighteous when it comes to your sin. But now I'm offering you a, a space to be righteous, meaning you are in right standing with me and you can continue to walk and overcome sin so that you can stand and walk in my best and in that rightness. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. It tells us, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I love how the Bible, if you read in Romans, it says this a lot. It says, if we don't have a relationship with God, then we are still enslaved to sin. Meaning that sin has all the power. We can think we'll get out of it, but we won't because it has all the power. However, the relationship actually allows us to move from the law of sin and death, that sin is only going to lead to death in our life as we walk on this earth, and death after we die, our eternal life. But we can move into a life that is filled with the spirit of life. It's a different way of looking. It's a different way of walking. It's like that Ephesians verse that I read right out the gate. It's that thing that is working in us to help us understand there's a power greater that we can lean into and we can overcome this. We have to start with that foundation because it moves us from death to life. Romans 6 
I'm going to read verses 3 and 4, and then I'm going to skip, that, skip down to verses 10 through 14. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, talking about people that have accepted what Jesus did, have a relationship with God, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So the reason why we have to have a foundation where we have a relationship with God and it starts there to conquer is because now we're not operating and living in death. That because of Jesus, we can actually walk and have a newness of life, a new way of looking at our circumstances, a new power to say, you know what? I'm not going to be pulled down by that sin anymore. I'm going to actually have victory, and I'm going to move beyond it. Then it explains how this power looks in this newness of life. As we scoot down a few more verses, verse 10, for the death he died, talking about Jesus, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as an instrument for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. God has given us grace to overcome sin. Not grace so we can sin and we have an easy out. It's very easy to go, oh, I got God's grace. And we, we misappropriate what grace really is. Grace is the power to give us the faith to know that we don't have to be pulled down by sin anymore. That we actually have a flipping chance because we have a foundation. That is why we have to ask ourselves the question, have I invited God into my race? Have I invited God into my life? Have I believed that Jesus actually did this for me so that I can have this exchange so I can actually have this new life? Now, once we've done this, once we've created this foundation, it just doesn't all of a sudden turn out great. It's not like, oh, good, you're good now. It's just, you know, fairies and roses. It's great. It's easy. Hard now. No, no, it actually becomes more challenging because you're more aware now. The light has shone on the things that have just been dark, and now you can do something about it. So here's what we have to do. We start that foundation, and then I believe there's a couple of actions we have to take spiritually that can help us overcome sin. We have to have remembrance and reverence. Two spiritual actions we can take once we have that foundation is we can have remembrance and reverence. Let me talk a little bit about remembrance, and I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. It says, but just as he, talking about God, who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, when you look up the Greek, that word holy just means living with moral purity. So it says right here, the one who's called you is holy. So go and be holy, like do the same thing. It doesn't say, the one who called you is holy. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> There's no way in the world you got a chance at this. Roll the dice, see what happens. No, no. It says, hey, look, you have a relationship with the one who is holy. So now, guess what? We can walk in that same holiness. We can walk in that moral purity. Another thing 
that we need to remind ourselves of can be found uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 through 4. So not only do we remember who God is, but we also have to remember this. Hebrews 12, 3 through 4. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, talking about Jesus, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, not only do we remember that, you know what, I don't care how my earthly father was, I now have a heavenly father, and he has a character, he has a way of living that is worth following, that is worth remembering in those hard times. Not only that, but then he says, oh, by the way, you also need to remember that every one of us sitting here today, that our sin has never been bad enough or hard enough to the point that we are actually dying on a cross and bleeding out because Jesus did that for us. And though it gets hard, and it will get hard, and though it is tough, and it will get tough, and though it feels like I'll never make it out of this, and it'll feel sometimes like I will never be able to let go of this, if we can just remember there was one who bled and died on the cross because of sin, and I hadn't quite got to that point yet, so I can move forward, and I can overcome what is in front of me. Let's talk about reverence. So that's remembrance, remembering what is there. Sorry, let me tell you this story real quick. I almost forgot to tell you the story, and it's a fun story to tell. So let's talk about remembrance, and let's hone in there. So I grew up with goats. You can tell it's already going to be a great story. <laughs> so I, I'm in Louisiana. We lived in the country. had goats, and uh, we had a, a few goats, and we had this one goat that we named Mr. T. And we named him that for a reason. If he could have talked, he would have said, like, I pity the fool. I pity the fool that tries to put me in a cage. I pity the fool that tries to, you know, rein me in. He was his own goat. Now, he was a regal-looking goat. Very, I don't know if goats can be handsome. He was handsome. He was the only male goat, and he had these nice horns. His, just, his uh, fur was just smooth and silky. But Mr. T was about Mr. T. He didn't care about you. He didn't care about our Great Dane that hated our goats and wanted to kill all of them. He would rub up against the Great Dane's fence like, I wish you would do something. Mr. T did not like being in a cage. When we first got him, my dad, <laughs> my dad brought him in the back of the pickup truck, and he had one horn tied to one side and one horn tied to the other side of the truck. I know, this is country living, baby. <laughs> and even when he tried to get him out and get him to the pen and stuff, he took off. He had, to, he had to go get him. Then we tied him to this cable with a rope on it, and he just broke out of that, went. And he would go across the street to, the, to our neighbors. They had a bunch of cows and cow pastures, and he would hang out with the cows. Finally, my dad called him and finally got him back and got him inside the, the, the fence and the pen area where the female goats were and the rest of the herd were. And do you know that Mr. T, even in the midst of that fence, he could still get out that fence. He would, he would squat down and then he would spring off of a stump beside the fence and jump over the six-foot fence like it was nothing. But here was the difference. Remember I told you when he got away the first couple times, he just took off way far away he no longer ran far away he stayed close by the fence you know why because he remembered there's some ladies still back in that fence my dad could open the main gate throw feet out and the female goats would go over there and mr t was going walking in because he remembered and that's the same thing we have to do with god we have to remember that you know what there's something better that God has for me. There's something that God has done before that I remember that though it's tough at times, still what he has for me is way better and is worth staying close to him in that. Reverence. 
Exodus chapter 20, uh, Moses is talking with God, and God's up on top of the mountain, and he says, hey, tell the people not to come up this mountain. Don't get close to me. And he's about to give them the Ten Commandments. And so Moses goes down and tells the people, hey, y'all have to stay down. You can't come up here. We're going to stay down here. And then God speaks from the top of the mountain to the children of Israel, and he tells them these Ten Commandments. But understand, here's what they're looking at. They're hearing these commandments, these guidelines, these laws that God is putting in place because he has a best in mind for them. But they're looking at this cloud that has thunder and lightning and a trumpet. So it's a little spooky and scary. It's kind of ominous. And here's what it says in Exodus 20, verse 20. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The word fear is used twice here. So does it just mean kind of when we think about fear, don't be afraid, but you still got to be afraid of God. That's not what it means. Because unlike our English language, a lot of other languages have words that differentiate sometimes the same word we use in English. So love or fear. Well, the Hebrew differentiates those two different words of fear. So the first one, when Moses says, do not fear, that's the word Yahweh. It means to be afraid and scared of or frightened. Might be the, the normal thing we think of when we think of being fearful is being afraid. I'm frightened. But the second one, when he says that the fear of him may be before you, that is the word Yira'ah. And it means a feeling of profound respect for someone or something. Do you ever have somebody in your life, or maybe you currently do, that you respect and just hold in such high regard that you might do something illegal for them? I mean, I had a guy tell me one time, he was like, Michael, if you did something illegal, I probably would cover up for you because I appreciate our friendship that much. This is the kind of respect that we have to remember. This is the kind of reverence that God wants us to have. That we look at God so highly that we say, you know what, God, I'm not going to get wrapped up in the normal things I'm going to could get wrapped up in with sin, but I'm actually going to move from that and move beyond that. I love what First Peter says in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It's talking about Christ and his suffering, and it says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. When we have a reverence of God like the scripture talks about, we get to a place where though it's suffering and it's hard in the physical, that we revere God enough that my own selfish evil desires as a human being, they no longer outweigh my desire to follow God and his way. We have to remember who God is. We have to have reverence and respect who he is to follow him. We're, we're, we're not just going to overcome sin with some boundaries. We have to have boundaries, and then we also have to have God. We have to have the spiritual side of things. I was probably about, I don't know, maybe eight, maybe seven, maybe nine. I was real young, and I got introduced to some photos that were inappropriate and that started a ball rolling in my life. And thank God we didn't have internet back then. Internet just made it worse. I could look up stuff. I could see things that were inappropriate. And it became this very tough cycle that I, I sat with 35, 40 years. It's a long time. And I remember prior to having a relationship with God, because I grew up in church, 
but I didn't have a relationship with God, so I was in ninth grade. Prior to that, when I struggled, I mostly would just make sure I was trying to cover it up and hide it. But I started a relationship with God. Remember I mentioned we have to ask that question, is he part of my race? When I started to have a real relationship with God, I understood that God had something better in mind for me and that I was allowing sin to slowly destroy areas of my life, slowly destroy my self-worth. Although nobody maybe could have seen it, I saw it. And I still wanted to hide, (laughs) but I now had conviction, meaning that I knew that God had something better for me, and I knew this was not it. And it felt so good every time. But every time I got done, I knew that it wasn't his best, and I knew it was destroying me and those around me. I even brought that into my marriage. Nobody knew about it going into marriage, and I still struggle with it in our marriage. It created some tough moments for us, some hard conversations, but thankfully she never left my side. She understood that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and I'm in this with you no matter what. I can say over the last number of years, I've been more on the victorious side than I ever have been in my life in that area. And one of the big things as of late that has helped has been in the last two to three years, me realizing what I just talked about today. Because I have boundaries in place today. But do you know those boundaries don't cover me all the time on every side? Those lustful thoughts still come. And there's not a boundary in the world that is stopping them. And I've had moments where I've had to remember, this is who you are, God. You're holy, I'm holy. I'm righteous because between me and you and my sin is Jesus. And because I have a relationship, you look through him first and you see me as pure. So I want to live and walk in that purity. I need your help and it's tough. You know what, God, I just want to, I want to really reverence, I want to respect you enough that when I'm tempted right now and I don't have a natural blockade, that spiritually I'm going to walk out and I'm not going to fall into that temptation. That temptation will always be a part of my life. And I know, don't say, Michael, don't claim that. I'm not claiming it. I'm just saying the enemy doesn't have me tricked. (laughs) So he knows I had this dude 35, 36 years in this area. I'll give him a rest. He'll think he's doing good. But in five years, I'm coming back, baby. And I'm coming back hard. And in those moments, I have to go, (laughs) you can try, but I know whose I am. And he's holy. And he's more powerful. And not just can I not do this, but because of him and his son overcoming sin, I can overcome sin. And that is a good feeling. That is a feeling that I know it's going to be tough, but I also know that I can win this battle because of who I know and who my daddy is. If you want to stand to your feet with me. I told you that we have to answer the question. Do we have God in our race? Have we really believed what Jesus has done for us? Because I can guarantee you, you might today feel great and doing good in this new year and you're getting some victories. But if you don't have a relationship with God, it's just a matter of time. Sin will eat us alive. Satan does not want us in relationship with God, and he knows sin is the main way to keep that blockade of that relationship. If you will, close your eyes. I just want to ask you a question. Do you have God in your life? And if you don't, why not today? 
Make a change. That newness of life it talked about, try something new in life. Build a foundation that doesn't just last for a month, a year, five years. It lasts for your entire life, even when it's hard. If that's you and you don't have that relationship, will you take it today? Will you receive it today? If you want it, I just want you to show God, I want this. Just raise your hand up. And once you raise your hand up, you can put it back down. Anybody here, that foundation to overcome. I see your hand, sir. I see your hand, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? See your hand, ma'am. Thank you. Now, we maybe have all thought of something that we have going on in our life that is sin, that doesn't line up with God's best. And maybe you have that thing like me. I have other things that I wrestle with and other sins that pull me and tempt me, but this one area of my life is the one that's been like cyclical for years and years and years. Whatever it is, if there's anything you feel like, God, I just need release from you and I need to overcome this. If there's something God spoke to you, put your hand on your heart and just say, God, I know that area and I'm going to fight and I'm going to remember and I'm going to respect and I'm going to have reverence and I'm going to just know that because I am connected with you, that I can get victory in this area more than I ever have had. Everybody in here, as loud as you can, if you raise your hand, put your hand on your heart. Everybody else, say this prayer as loud as you can after me. Say, God, I love you. You sent your son. He died and was raised from the dead. Not for nothing, but for me. So now I can overcome the sin that tries to pull me away from my relationship with you. I am holy only because you are holy. In Jesus' name, amen.